California used to be this, this mecca of industry. And just over time, between politics and excessive taxation and regulations, it's, it's gone by the wayside. Do you think they might have a huge impact on certain industries without the people making these laws knowing? You know, it scares business owners terribly, and it also creates this, this terror, if you will, of the unknown. What am I going to be nailed for next? How are these politicians looking at issues? What is the process? A lot of bills are sponsored by special interests. Was it like this before when businesses had more power? It has dramatically changed. The businesses seem to have less and less power and the politicians have more and more as long as they are responding to the special interests who want their legislation passed. My guest today is Katie Grimes, editor at California Globe. What's happening is every legislative session, somebody introduces a bill to uh, impose taxes on the wealthiest in California. And in California, that does seem to be Silicon Valley. And that's a huge part of it. But it's also just this um, affordability aspect. Their employees can't afford to live where they work. Are some California laws forcing businesses to branch out and relocate to other states? And how are California policies and regulations affecting the employees? Let's find out in today's interview. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Thank you, CMAC. There's a phenomenon that's been happening in the state. Businesses are leaving the state. And some people are saying that California, the regulations has been burdensome for a lot of these businesses. Can you tell us what you've experienced? You've been covering the states. Yes, I've been covering this a long time. Um, what we really started to focus on businesses leaving the state was about 10 or 12 years ago, uh, there was actually a fellow in the state who used to um, help people leave the state. And uh, what we found, it was not just regulations, although they were extremely burdensome. It was also certain counties had higher taxes than others. This, the overall burden of high taxes, you know, for businesses anyway. Um, but they also found that it was um, uh, an overall view of local politicians on business friendliness. And, and you know, I mean, South, Southern California used to be this, this mecca of, um, industry, um, the, the airline industry, you know, Boeing was here, Firestone was here, we, we made everything. And just over time, between politics and excessive taxation and regulations, it's, it's gone by the wayside. How did we end up here? And, and now uh, this trend has accelerated. So we have some serious companies leaving, like Tesla and mm -hmm. HP, and some tech companies are leaving, companies that should be here, right? Yeah, they're companies you would expect would remain here, uh, especially Silicon Valley companies. Um, what we're finding with those companies is they might leave their headquarters here, but they're expanding in South Carolina or North Carolina or you know other states. Um, and again, what's happening is every legislative session, somebody introduces a bill to uh, impose taxes on the wealthiest in California. And in California, that does seem to be Silicon Valley, um, owners, partners, et cetera. Uh, and, and that's a huge part of it. But it's also just this um, affordability aspect. Their employees can't afford to live where they work. So a lot of times, if you have these companies that announce they're going to move to Southern, uh, to South Carolina or Texas or Louisiana, where people can afford to move and buy a house, that's very appealing. So they might leave the headquarters here, but they're going to expand elsewhere. 
Now, the, the laws that are passing, the legislative body, you mentioned that they want to tax. And what, what is the mindset? Because there's some laws that recently passed, right? We have a number of laws that have passed that will affect some industries, right? Yes. Um, some of the regulatory agencies like Cal EPA or the California Air Resources Board, even the State Water Resources Control Board, those all have regulatory powers and they are imposing it on certain industries. So where uh, agriculture is uh, suffering a lot, obviously, is the water shortage in the state. Um, and, and with the water shortage in the state, I, I've, I've spoken several times to Congressman Tom McClintock, who very accurately says, uh, droughts are naturally occurring, water shortages are political and created by politicians. And that tells you a lot. We have a water resources control board that is cutting off more and more water and water rights to water rights holders, agriculture. And it's not just agribusiness, which you know we hear a lot about. It's the, the tiny little strawberry farmers. It's everybody. Everybody's suffering equally in that industry through those regulations. The air resources board is imposing uh, regulations on the trucking industry through their diesel regulations. Um, independent truckers were forced to either go out of business or replace their rigs with new ones because the state essentially mandated it. So that's the kind of industry uh, regulations we're seeing. And these, uh, these boards, they're not elected, right? They're just... No, they're all appointed. And that, that's what makes them so political. Uh, this is why politics is important to follow, because whoever is in power, the governor, the legislature, which has some appointment power, they are appointing the members of these boards. And most of California has never, ever heard of the California Air Resources Board. I mean, everybody kind of knows about the EPA, but I bet a lot of people don't know about Cal EPA or even the State Water Resources Control Board. And a lot of the board members and commission members um, seem to become interchangeable. They move from the Air Resources Board to the Water Resources Board and vice versa. And what about the legislative body? Uh, how's the legislative body? Because there's a lot of laws, like they passed AB5 law and mm -hmm. now they're passing this fast food law. There's a lot of laws that are passing that are coming into different industries and yes. affecting the way business is done. Yes, uh, it's kind of surprising too because members of the legislature in, in every county and every district obviously have a lot of businesses in their district um, and a lot of small businesses, which frankly is what most of the state is, it's small business. Um, it is surprising how tone deaf so much of the legislature has become to the plight of these business owners, like Assembly Bill 5 that you mentioned, which actually forced most independent contractors of all industries uh, out of business. So you could have not just uh, the, the Lyft and, and Uber drivers, which everybody thought that was uh, you know, geared toward, but it was um, uh, actors, musicians, independent doctors and nurses who travel around the state but are their own bosses. Um, oh, I think there were over 200 industries that were impacted by Assembly Bill 5. So a lot of those independent contractors, again, truckers also, a lot of independent contractors were either forced out of business or they're going to be forced into creating an LLC with other partners, which they had no intention of ever doing. There was a survey by CEO Magazine that said California ranked is ranked the worst state to do business yes. for this based on the CEO's feedback. 
Are the assembly leaders, the people that are making these laws, what's their perspective of, on, on businesses? I don't think it's a pleasant one. Um, I think they see a lot of business more as the enemy. But what's so interesting is even f 10, 15 years ago, members of the legislature, more of them at that time, and certainly 20 and 30 years ago, came from private sector or were business owners, uh, had you know private sector jobs, um, or if they came to the legislature even from a government job, the idea was you come and you serve and then you go back to your job. Today's legislature seems to be more of the professional politician. And I think what has happened is they are f more and more removed from the individual business people in their districts. And therefore, it's almost become a hostile relationship instead of uh, one in which they can work together. And how did this happen? Why, why are the businesses, so from what we are hearing, People are scared of the next legislation, the legislature, yeah. the, the next law that will come out mm -hmm. and how it would impact the industry and some people are just leaving. Yeah, I think that is part of the reason some are leaving the state. If they have a business they can pick up and move, they, a lot of them are considering it. Um, how this happened is, is fascinating and it, it happened obviously over time with the change in the, if you will, the demographic of the individual legislator. Um, but also, I think, in conjunction with the power of the labor unions in the state, and particularly the public employee labor unions, the California Teachers Association, the Service Employees International, those represent you know, public teachers, public employee workers. Um, it also happened in um, 1990 when then-Governor Gray Davis signed Senate Bill 400 which initially just authorized the public safety unions a, a richer pension. And then all the others eventually caught up, whether it was city county workers or other state employee unions. Um, and what happened when it was this immediate um, uh, infiltration of money into the unions, and that translated into getting certain politicians elected. And I think you know, it's kind of a, con a combination of both of the, the change in the legislator and then the influence of the money into the labor unions. So why does it have to be that the, the labor unions, it seems like from what you're saying, the labor unions are kind of against the business. Is there a tension, the labor unions, they're funding the politicians and then the politicians want to just yeah. regulate the businesses or why it, is this happening? Yeah, it does seem that way. I think there's this tendency to want to grow. Um, the labor unions see themselves almost as a business and they want to grow and control more. Um, I think the whole purpose behind Assembly Bill 5 that we spoke of um, was actually to kind of force more employees into union companies or union jobs. Um, the labor unions wanted to grow more. And I think um, that explains this, this hostility between the private sector non-union businesses, which there are far more of in the state than there are unions, but they're, you know, they're quiet. They're small little individual businesses. It's a, you know, a mom and pop restaurant or, you know, just a small insurance office or something like that, even a small law firm. They're not unionized, but they're important. Um, so there, yeah, there's just this great divide between the, the union employee and public employee unions particularly and the private sector. Why do you think the private sector, the business community, have been quiet 
because it, it looks like there's they don't have much influence in any of the you know, there there is a process in, in this country where you know you want to come create regulation for industry you have to talk to the industry mm -hmm. and the industry leaders will tell you what you need to do and what would work and what would not work it seems like this communication is is not there right or yeah, I think the, the communication has eroded over time also. Um, when you look at the organizations that represent the private sector employers, whether it's private sector uh, agriculture businesses, large and small, um, not a lot of unions there, um, private sector industry like restaurants, not a lot of unions there, uh, private sector, uh, you know, medical field, um, some unions, but not heavy. It's it's about those industries being able to contribute to lawmakers in order to get their attention, and and that is how it's done in this state. The labor unions wield most of the power because of the power of the the purse that they hold. So they have a lot more money than this a individual. Yes, even though the private sector has representation, the, the NFIB, or the Western States Petroleum Association, or Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. I mean, th there are these organizations out there fighting on behalf of the private sector, but it doesn't have the same oomph anymore when there was a more level playing field between the, the, the labor unions and the private sector representation associations. How did this, so back in the day, it wasn't like this, right? No. What happened? Um, politics happened. Um, it really did change significantly around that, that bill that Gray Davis signed that gave so much power to the labor unions that, um, that money talks. And, and it, really, it really goes there. It also happened it, around that same time, there were lobbyists in the state, very, very influential lobbyists that had figured out how to um, influence and get more Democratic voters. Um, there's a lobbyist that Jim Lacey and I wrote about in our book, Richie Ross, very, very influential lobbyist in the state. He uh, and a labor leader in Southern California figured out how to tap into more Latino households in order to get the Latino vote and in, on the Democratic ticket. And what they did is they set out, you know, kind of their army to introduce themselves, to show they cared, to not only get the, the, you know, the head of household or the mom and the dad voting, but they got them to get all their family members and all their coworkers to vote a certain way. It was a very, um, very, very well orchestrated um, uh, plan. And that really significantly impacted Southern California politics. Now, in a sense, if there is no balance, do you think that the lack of this balance is causing these regulation to be extreme? Do you think that's because the businesses are not on the table? Yeah, I do. That, that's a huge part of it. The other thing that's interesting is if you look at what some of the regulations are, um, things that are very uh, maybe less tangible than other, like climate change regulations. Our governor just signed 40 climate change bills. And what these 40 bills will do is give these regulatory agencies the authority essentially to make law without the legislature having to do it for them. Um, 
but these are very vague issues. And um, so it leaves a lot of um, subjectivity and uh, it gives these agencies a lot of authority over various industries. Do you think they, and, and if these laws, these rules come, do you think they might have a huge impact on certain industries without them, without the people making these laws knowing what they're doing? Yes, I think, and that's been, that's been kind of the creeping scary issue for businesses over the last 20 years in California is that regulations happen and business owners don't know about it until they find themselves in violation of something an air quality law in you know San Joaquin County they didn't know that there was this new measurement um, things like that water water laws uh, they didn't know um, that a pool of water in their parking lot was now regulated by Cal EPA things like that that you know it scares business owners terribly and it also creates this this terror if you will of the unknown what am I going to be nailed for next and you have been watching the, you've been reporting on the legislative body in California for a decade, a right? A long or time, more. yes. And can you tell us what is the mindset? Uh, what do you see when you go there? Uh, how are these politicians looking at issues? What is the process there? Is there a lot of thinking, deliberation? or How are they making these decisions? when they're passing laws. The legislative process is interesting. It's changed over time. Um, a lot of bills that are written and presented are sponsored by, uh, by uh, special interests. And what they often do is they will find a lawmaker to carry a bill for them. That's not unheard of, but now that is so much of the legislation that the lawmaker essentially puts his or her name on it and it just kind of cruises through the committee process because uh, XYZ special interest lines up 50 other special interest groups to support it and it's just a done deal. And unfortunately, because there is a Democrat supermajority in the legislature, even if there is some pushback with some Democrats or with the Republican Party, the votes are there to get these bills passed no matter what. So are you saying that the special interests are essentially controlling a lot of these laws? Yes, they are. It actually says it in most of the bill analyses that are written by the uh, committee, the legislative committee consultants. They will tell you who sponsored the bill. And most of the time, these special interests, they're doing it because there's something in it for them. They're not doing exactly. it for the great good of the residents. That is correct. So uh, getting back to Assembly Bill 5, that was actually written by the AFL-CIO. So which is a union, right? Which is, so there was obviously a union interest in that bill. The bill that um, is now going to controlling the 556,000 fast food workers in the state is almost like state unionization of these uh, 556,000 employees. And guess who sponsored the bill? The SEIU. So somehow, somewhere, the SEIU is expecting these employees down the road probably to become members. But most people think of Sacramento, they, they think lawmakers going there and, and passing laws and debating. And uh, you mentioned these special interests. Mm -hmm. uh, who are these people and what does it look like? How much influence do they have? Oh, it's a fascinating experience. Uh, being in the hallways of the state capitol when the assembly's in session and the senate's in session and hot bills are rolling through, the hallways 
are packed with lobbyists, with associations, with, uh, you know, it's the horse trading's happening there. They're there in the hallways trying to catch a lawmaker, trying to get him or her to vote this or that way. I mean, it's a fascinating experience and hundreds, hundreds of them um, during every, you know, every floor session of the Senator Assembly. It's amazing. And do they have a lot of impact on these laws? Do they do they change the text? Do they do they do? They, you mentioned they even write some of these, right? Yes, um, I think I think they do have a lot of influence, uh, particularly if, uh, say, a bill is meeting some resistance in a committee. Uh, the bill will, you know, the committee will suggest amendments, the author can accept or reject them. They pretty much have to accept them. Um, but that is all influenced also by who's sponsoring the bill and how much they're willing to accept in the form of amendments. So it's, there's, you know, horse trading going on behind the scenes that most people never see. How much of the interest of the people is really involved in there? I mean, these are our representatives, right? Are they working for us or are these hundreds of people there, they're working for them, really? Yeah, that is, uh, that's, that's the part that's disconcerting. They are not working for the people. They will tell you they are, but they're not. Uh, it's, it's almost always either industry, labor unions, um, I'm trying to think of who else has, you know, influence there, but yeah, it's, it's, when I say special interest, it can be agriculture special interest, it can be labor union special interest, it can be environmental special interest, it can be uh, uh, health related. Um, I mean, there's all of these industries are represented by very, very powerful lobbying associations or lobbying firms. And we are having a lot more laws now, right? It's yes. three times what we used to have. Is there money to be made when people make laws, or is there something oh, to absolutely. gain? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the money to be made is, um, of course, the, the, the folks that represent the special interests are very, very well paid because they are very good at influencing lawmakers to you know, take up their case, if you will, in a bill or fight a bill. Um, yeah, there's a lot of money happening in Sacramento, which is why there has always been resistance to the idea of a part-time legislature. And why do we have so many more laws now, based on what you Because we can, because lawmaking has become an industry in and of itself in the state of California. So the people that are in the legislative body um, a lot of them, they get elected because they want to be the voice of the people and they, they, they go and they tell the community, you know, we want to help the poor people, we want to help the community, you know. And what's going on in the capital? Is, is, is that, what does it look like when you go there? I think, I think a lot of lawmakers uh, enter politics with the idea that they want to make a difference. I have, I have no, I don't question their, their methods and their motives. Uh, but once they get there, it's got to be overwhelming because, um, you know, as we've touched on, the the, cons the consultants, the lobbyists, the association, the, you know, the, lab the the lobbying associations. There's so many. They're so influential. There is so much money behind them. Um, it it's it. it it's hard to even describe how much until you go across the street to the parking garage 
across from the Capitol and see the cars that are parked there for the you know various uh, lobbying associations and, and associations around the Capitol, it's it's filled with Teslas and Ferraris and Jaguars and and Mercedes and BMWs and that's not Capitol staff. That is, those are the people that are approaching our lawmakers asking for influence. Do the unions, do they drive these kind of cars too? Oh, they absolutely they do, yes. Um, some will drive very fancy pickup trucks, trying to look not as influential, but it's, it's all there. It's, um, yeah, every, every lobbying association, I think, um, that is in and out of the Capitol all day long, um, there's just a lot of money, a lot of money being made. Was it like this before when businesses had more power or was it like are the politicians have changed where they're just going by whatever the special interests are? Uh, I think it has, it has dramatically changed where um, yeah, the businesses seem to have less and less power um, in the state and the politicians have more and more as long as they are uh, responding to the special interests who want their legislation passed. And what's our way out of this? Is there a way out? The people, educating the people. I know it sounds simplistic, but it's not. Um, I think the, the California voters are not aware how much of this has changed and how the, that even though politicians, when they're campaigning, tell you, I care about you and your schools and your neighborhood and the kitchen table issues that we hear so much about, um, that, that doesn't seem to be the case because the individual mom and dad or small business owner or even medium to large size business owner do not have the ability to get in front of that politician the way they used to the, and the way the special interests are. Why not? Money. It is money talks and, and the money is being controlled by the special interests by the labor unions, uh, mostly the public sector labor unions in this state. So the money that the unions have is a lot more than what the business and individuals. And Significantly, yes. And where you see that is when you see who is funding, uh, who, who is giving the campaign contributions and to whom they are giving it. Um, it's, it's, you know, labor union, labor union, labor union, labor union. Uh, primarily uh, with some, particularly some of the more powerful lawmakers um, but it's it's all there in black and white if we just look at um, you know follow the money now these uh, leaders that are influenced by these special interests by the unions what are they thinking do they not see that eventually if a lot of these businesses leave the state will be in trouble what do they think what have you seen I don't think they're thinking that far ahead. I think they're very much living in the here and now and in the moment. And um, obviously s some can't deny what's going to happen. That, I mean, it, entire industries may end up leaving the state. Um, we used to have a manufacturing sector in California that was massive and now with all of, or most of manufacturing leaving the state, we're left with a service industry, which is a very, very different makeup. Um, so I think um, that also is reflected in who's being elected to the legislature. 
But again, I don't, I don't think they're looking ahead or they're saying they're not that worried about it because maybe they won't be in the legislature when the big change takes place. Do they go to a higher office? Because it seems like California, there's a lot of politicians here where they go to national positions. Do th are they looking and saying, okay, a few years later, I just worry about this right now, yeah. and then I make the unions happy, and then they will put me somewhere else. Yes, I think there's a lot of that. There's certainly a, no doubt, and that's happened you know, since politicians were you know, taking campaign contributions. The other thing that's happening is, um, yes, many aspire to higher office, go to Congress, um, the other thing that's happening is with the term limits in our legislature, we're seeing a lot of politicians who are getting termed out of their assembly or senate seats go back to their counties and run for county supervisor and in some cases city council. So they do remain in politics and in many ways they're almost more powerful in county supervisorial positions than they were in the legislature. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that experience? I have mixed feelings about it um, because I still believe in citizen representation, but we don't have much of that right now. Um, they all believe it's a good thing because they have um, you know, institutional knowledge, if you will, of how politics happens and you know, how things happen in the state or how things happen in their county. Um, I don't think it's serving the people well, though. Now, for California to go back, and become the place where businesses want to come back here and not leave. Is there a path? I think the path is pretty simple, actually. If you look at the states where California businesses are going, what are they seeking? They're seeking no income taxes. They're seeking, you know, or low income taxes. They're seeking uh, a, a part-time legislative body. They are seeking fewer regulations or, you know, a state that is not that interested in regulating industry. I mean, I think it's, they're, they're looking at cost of living for their employees. It's, it's kind of a textbook case. It's, you know, it's why so many businesses from California have moved to Texas, to Florida, to Tennessee, to South Carolina. Um, those are kind of the biggies. Now, do you think we would have a, we, to get there, we would have to have a crash? Or do you think, do you think things might change on its own? What are your thoughts? I have wondered for a long time um, if the state was going to kind of crumble down to something unrecognizable or if it could be saved. And I don't necessarily have any answers, but right now I am seeing a very interesting thing taking place in California, this huge grassroots movement um, that I've kind of been calling the parent revolution. And it's a, a lot of parents who discovered during the, uh, you know, the COVID pandemic, what was going on in their schools, what was being taught to their kids. And so these very apolitical people, while they're not political now, they are getting involved in politics. And it's the ultimate grassroots movement which I think can only be great. That may be where California is saved because these people, I just love that they're not coming at it from a political place necessarily. They're coming at it from uh, you know, the, the quality education they want their kids to have, the ridiculous spending that's been going on. So I mean, they're, they're, they're very analytical the way they're looking at this. So I, in kind of a, a long-winded way of saying, I do think the state can be saved, and I think we might be seeing the beginnings of it. 
Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? Oh, pay attention. <laughs> pay attention, vote, get everybody you know to vote. It's so important. And I think for anybody that has at all any interest in um, trying to do something, getting involved at the most local level of politics, whether just as a volunteer or throwing your, your, you know, your hat in the ring, um, it makes a difference. And I think, uh, I think Californians are seeing that now. Katie Grimes, editor at California Globe. It was great to have you in California Insider. Thank you very much. It was wonderful to be here.